The scripture for this morning um, comes from James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. You can follow along in your Bibles or in your worship guide. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of God. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Good morning. It is good to be back. Uh, Go away for a year, and then a pandemic hits, and you come back, and I don't know a lot of you. Uh, That's good. Change is good. Uh, I I think this is the first time that I've actually preached in this building. I think I did a little mini lesson for a special service we had, but it's been that long. Uh, But it's good to be back, and I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, So there I was in March of 2018, and we had just arrived into uh, Fort Hood, Texas, and we were to spend about two and a half months there before our, our unit was going to head to Afghanistan. And it was two and a half months of lead up for training to prepare to go into theater. And one of the first things they do in those initial days is you go through all these different medical screenings. And one of them was the vision screening. And my vision's terrible. So after going through the vision screening about three days later, uh, my equipment arrived. The equipment that was going to enable me to see and keep me safe. Uh, in a combat zone, and I put my glasses on, and this is what I got, standard army issue. And not only did they look like this, which I think was uh, the army's way of, of trying to keep from guys having an affair, because there's no way a woman was going to come within 10 feet of me when I had these on. <laughs> but when I held them up, the prescription was wrong. Like, it's not even close to being right. And so everything I look at when I have these on is distorted. It's not reality everything I look at. And if I want to see things as they really are, I have to take them off. Um, I thought, good gracious, this is the first piece of equipment they gave me. I was a little nervous about the rest of the equipment they were going to give me. (laughs) Everything else seemed to work just fine. But the point is, when I put these glasses on, it reminded me that we all have lenses through which we see this world. We may not realize it. Uh, It may not be as evident as these lenses that the army gave me, but we do. Um, our lenses are, 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 you call them lenses, biases, filters, however you want to define it, but they're a result of who we are based upon our experiences, what we've learned, what we've been taught, what we've been through in life, our culture. Uh, we all have different experiences. That's why two people who witness the same event will describe it completely differently. 
Because the things they see or the things they don't see are based upon the filters that we bring to the table. And I bring that up because I think that when we read Scripture, we do this and we do it unconsciously. And we run the risk, if we're not careful, of really examining ourselves and understanding what those filters are and what those lenses are that we bring to the Scriptures, we're either going to read things into it that aren't there or we're going to miss things that are there. And, you know, in general, I think in general, as, as folks from the United States, culturally, there are all sorts of filters that we apply to things. I think in general, people from the United States, um, we're, we're doers, we're accomplishers, we're, we're goal-oriented. It's kind of part of the fabric of, of who we are. Self-reliance is important, independence, uh, things like that. So I think that when, when, we, when we come to the scriptures, we read into the scriptures some of these things, if we're not careful. Uh, you know, we're, I think we're asking ourselves a lot, uh, do we measure up? You know, how do I measure up in general in life? But I think we apply that to our, our, our relationship with the Lord. Um, and I think a lot of us are anxious because of it. You know, there are a lot of positive benefits to having uh, a lens like that. Uh, but there are negatives as well. And I think if you look at the culture of, of what we would say uh, evangelical Christianity in the Western world, you know, our country especially, you know, we have an emphasis on things like discipleship and obedience. And I suggest that there's probably a lot of anxious Christians today. I know I certainly suffer from chronic anxiousness in my faith. I think some of you can resonate with that message. Uh, we either hear it or we, from, from the pulpit or we hear it from ourselves that I should try harder, do more. Uh, I'm not reading the Bible enough. I'm not praying enough. I'm not telling other people about Jesus enough. I'm not volunteering enough. And when we come to the scriptures with a lens like that of anxiety and angst and wanting to do more, we come to a passage like this, and I think we risk reading things into it that we ought not to or missing things that are clearly there if we will work hard and take those lenses off. And so when I was given this topic to preach on, and Todd said, you know, it's going to be on Christ-like living. And then I read the header in my Bible, uh, which really isn't a part of the scriptures. It's really something that people added. It was like hearing and doing the word. Man, it was like anxiety. Oh, man. Like, this is a message about measuring up and integrity and like your actions uh, matching what you say you believe. And I just started thinking about all the things I am and am not doing uh, to be a doer of the word. But then I took a deep breath, took off that, that lens that I was looking through those glasses that just don't fit. And uh, hopefully we'll have a different message for you today. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word, and uh, Lord, we want to we understand it right. And I pray that uh, you would remove any of the, the biases that each of us have as we look at it, and that there would just be truth today that would come through the, the teaching of your word, and that you would apply this message to our hearts individually, as only your spirit can, um, as we need it. Amen. So let me start by talking about um, what this passage does. What this passage does is I think it gives us a roadmap, it really does, for how our lives ought to align to the way what we believe ought to align to how we behave, right? Um, so you, we could define that as Christ-like living. What does it mean to live like Christ? Uh, what does it mean to be like Christ? Um, how do we have our actions match our words? However you want to define it, I do think this, this passage gives us a roadmap. And the way that it does that is I think that there are two chunks in this 
passage that, teach, that attempt to teach what this is. What is this Christ-like living? What is this, this, not just being a hearer, but also a doer? What is it? And then there's a third chunk at the end, and, and those two chunks are verses 19 through 21, then 22 through 25. And the third chunk shows us how to apply it. Gives us a practical example. It says, all right, now, I've taught you what it is. Let me show you what it looks like. It's a really interesting method of teaching here that's in this, this chunk of scriptures. And so when you look at verses 19 through 25, that first part where there's the two chunks that teach us what it is, this is where it gives us um, sort of practical, dogmatic teaching. And, you know, when I read this, the, these, these verses, and, I, and as I was trying to organize these thoughts and prepare for the sermon, I, I kept seeing things, characteristics in these verses that I categorized into two different areas. There are those things that have to do with sitting, and there are those things that have to do with doing. Right? So there are characteristics that, ha- that are, are more like passive, resting, and then there are those characteristics that are like, okay, get out there and take action. Right? And in verses 19, or let me give an example of some of that. So let, let's talk about those things that have to do with sitting. Now, don't miss these because they're important. He says things like, be quick to hear. Be quick to hear. He's talking about listening. Be very quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. Okay? That's not our tendency. Our tendency is we hear something and immediately we have an opinion on it. Or immediately, oh my goodness, the preacher said this. I, I need to get out there and do it. Right? Oh my goodness, I just read this in the scriptures. I better get out there and do it. Slow to speak and slow to anger. Be quick to hear. The second one is in verse 21, where it says, receive, receive with meekness, humility, make yourself small for a minute, receive this, make yourself small and sit with it for a minute, receive with meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So be quick to hear. I've got to listen. Next, I have to receive. And the third thing that's in the sit category in these, in these, uh, in this passage is Look into the perfect law. Look into the perfect law, the law of liberty. Quick to hear, receive, look into. Look into means take your time with this. Don't just glance at it. Slow yourself down. Look into the law of liberty, meaning his word. And finally, in verse 25, it says, remember it. Being no hearer who forgets. So you're not just looking at it. You're not just receiving it. You're not just hearing it. But let it soak into your brains. Let it soak into your soul. Let it soak into your being. Do not forget this. So those are the sit categories of things. Christ-like living. How do my actions align with my words? Four things. Hear, receive, look, remember. Okay? Now on the do side are things like, they're, it's pretty good advice. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Don't deceive yourself. And be a doer who acts. What's interesting about the do side, now, typically what would happen is when I would read a passage like this, I would not even see, listen, look into, receive, 
remember. I wouldn't even see that. I would see, be a doer of the word. Don't deceive yourself and don't deceive others. Put away all that filthiness and all that wickedness. And my mind would immediately start going to, what do I got to do to be a doer and not just a hearer only? Now, notice there are no specific actions they tell us to take. He doesn't define what a doer looks like. He just says, just be a doer, not a hearer only. But he does give us specific actions to take when it comes to sitting. And he's telling us, listen, receive, look into, remember, very specific commands. The do part is general. And that's where when I put on my lens of wanting to prove my worth and value to the Lord and to you and to anybody else, I start creating that list of do. And that list doesn't exist in this passage. Do you see how the lenses we bring get in the way? Don't allow us to see things and then cause us to see things that really aren't there. So what we do when we come to a passage like this and we hear a phrase, which really sounds good in the bumper sticker, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. So that kind of thing sticks with us. Uh, We put on those glasses and we pull out this like imaginary measuring stick, right? And we start measuring. Okay, am I a doer or am I a hearer only? Um, and and, And we see this analogy in this passage too about don't be like the guy who looks at himself in the mirror and the minute he walks away, he forgets it. Don't be like that person that looks into the scriptures and then immediately turns and does something that, are, that, that is contrary to what's in the scriptures. We start building that anxiety up in our hearts. I can't be like that person. I'm not that person. I'm going to prove I'm not that person. And, and by the way, uh, when we pull out that measuring stick and we start saying, how do I measure up against these things? Uh, what are we measuring anyway? I mean, it's kind of arbitrary depending on the person. I think if we asked each of us, what you measure yourself up against to make sure that you're living like Christ or that you're a doer and not just a hearer, I think we would get a bunch of different answers. I know this because I've asked a lot of my soldiers this question. Um, For some, they pull out their measuring stick and it's language. Like, well, you know, and I said the D word last week, but it wasn't the F word, so I'm making progress. Like, I'm I'm doing good. That's my measuring stick. Um, uh, Volunteer hours. I did enough last week. I think I did 10. Probably could have done 12, but I did 10, so that's okay. I'm doing all right there. Oh, I spent, like, every day I spent reading the Bible. So measuring up, not bad, right? Um, For others, it's money. It's how they're investing their money. I'm not wasting my money. I'm being frugal with it. I gave some away. Uh, I'm measuring up. I'm a doer, not just a hearer. Types of movies you watch sometimes are, are a benchmark for you. Um, your dress, whether or not it's, you consider it to be modest or not, that's a benchmark. How frequently you attend church, and the list could go on and on. And most of us are unconscious of the measuring sticks we use and what we're putting ourselves up against to see if we really are doers and not just hearers only. Whatever it is that we default back to to prove our value and worth to God and to each other, it's wrong. And that's not what the gospel is about, and it's not what this passage is telling us to do. Because oftentimes our values are measured in what we do, what we accomplish, how we succeed. Our spiritual lives, as one author put it, it's like a shareholder meeting, where once a quarter you sit down and you evaluate yourself, and you go before the Lord, and you say, Lord, I'm making pretty good progress in this area. I think I'm okay. Or you convince yourself you're okay. And we miss the whole point of having a relationship with God. And the whole point of what Christ-like living really means. Can we really ever do enough for God? No. 
No, and that's not why Christ came, and that's not what he desires of us. He doesn't desire anxious Christians who are always trying to do to prove to themselves or him their value. I share this, this with you, and this is close to my heart because this is a lesson that I learned through most of my life as being a Christian, of being an anxious Christian. But I think I've learned a pathway forward by, by reading into the scriptures what's actually there. And a lot of it had to do with, with the being away for a year and that experience changing me. Because when our unit got the message that we were going to deploy to Afghanistan, I was immediately full of anxiety and angst and worry. But do you know why I was worried? I wasn't worried about the dangers of war or what was going to happen or even being separated from my family. None of that even entered my mind at first. I immediately was anxious because now I couldn't rest on the laurels of my civilian career. Now I was going to be the professional Christian where I had to prove that I was worthy of that role. I had to prove my holiness. I had to be the standard for what it looks like to, to live like Christ and be like Christ. And I started thinking in my mind, literally, what do I do first, second, third each day? What programs do I create? What wisdom do I impart? How many people are going to come to saving faith because of me? Uh, what answers will I have to all the questions that they're going to have of this gray area of being in battle and, and reconciling that to teachings in the scriptures? It was anxiety about proving my value as a Christian to be able to lead others to Christ. It was all about do, do, do. But then I came back to the principle in the New Testament and elsewhere in Scripture where over and over Christ is exhorting us to be quick to hear, slow to take action, let things seep in. Union with him is more important than anything else if we ever want to accomplish anything in this world for him. Listen, receive, look into, remember. And if you look at this passage, what are the results of those sitting characteristics? Receiving the implanted word saves your soul. Looking into the law liberates you. None of the doing actions do anything to improve your spiritual condition. But the sitting actions, those are effective. They save your soul. They liberate you. So why do we overlook these sitting characteristics and focus so much on the actions we take? Why do we miss the mark of the relevance of those sitting actions when they're the ones the scriptures say are effective? Another way to say this is you cannot be a doer until you learn to sit. In fact, the passage says that in verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer he who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. There is a sequential order. You cannot be effective in your doing until you learn how to sit and be at peace with Christ. At work, I have a colleague who's just as neurotic as me and gets worked up very easily. 
And we have a running joke that when, when she gets spun up, I tell her to sit down. When I get spun up, she tells me to sit down in a loving way. When we're in a meeting with other people, or sometimes I'll pull up a chair. And when we're in a meeting with other people, and, and we can't say that out loud because other people will think it's weird, I just text her a picture of a chair. I think metaphorically, God needs to send us all a chair. And we need to sit down. If you look, this is not just in this passage. This is all throughout the New Testament. If you look at Mark 1, verses 16 through 17, this is Jesus calling his first disciples. These are critical words that Jesus says. It's the first time he's calling people to be his disciples, right? He's starting his public ministry. And listen to what he says to them. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Hear this. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Do you know what we do when we read this passage and we have those distorted lenses on? We're, we're like, fishers of men, bolt, and we go out, right? Oh, Jesus wants me to go out and fish for men. I better go out and evangelize. I got to go share the gospel with as many people as I can because he wants me to be a fisher of men. And we miss that there, Jesus has a role here and I have a role here in this passage. The very first thing he tells his disciples is not go out and change the world. The command that they get, that they receive from Jesus, is sit, follow me. Literally in the Greek, come here. Come here. It's about me. It's about knowing me, nurturing a relationship with me, understanding my love for you, my compassion for you, my acceptance, my approval. You have nothing to prove. Oh, by the way, do you want to be a fisher of men? Do you want to change this world? That's my job. I will make you to become, is how that literally translates. You cannot change this world until you follow him and receive him first fully. You have nothing to prove. I believe Jesus, metaphorically, stands at the shore of our lives. And we're out there busy churning, aren't we? And he's saying, come here. Come here. What are you doing? Sit with me. John fifteen four. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. It's a silly analogy, isn't it? If my body were the trunk of a tree, my arm was a branch, let's say this branch fell off. Boy, that branch could work really hard and try to will a piece of fruit, you know, like an apple just to form. But there's no way that apple's going to form unless it's attached to this trunk and it rains and there's sun and there's nutrients. We do it all the time. We just will ourselves to produce fruit. And we think we do. Because maybe we do some good things in the world. But we kid ourselves. It's not about the fruit we bear. It's not about the work we do. Christ-like living means sitting with him, nurturing a relationship with him, believing what he said when he said he loves us and we have nothing to prove, that we're fully accepted, that there's nothing we could do to earn his love and approval more. Colossians 2, 6 through 9, because this is in Scripture all throughout. If we would just take off our biased lenses and we would see it. So then, just as you received Christ, continue to live your life in him, being rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. What we do in this world should be an overflow of what Christ is doing in our hearts. 
See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Sounds like the philosophy we apply to our faith, where we say we got to do in order to be accepted. We got to do in order to be a good Christian, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, not on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ, you have already been brought to fullness. Nothing to earn, nothing to prove. And of course, in, in Psalm 46.10, the, the very famous verse, we love to quote it, we have no idea what it means practically, be still and know that I am God. Literally, stop striving. Stop striving. Cease striving. And know that I am God. He is telling us to sit down. The key to Christ-like living is sitting with him. Before we deployed, I didn't know how to deal with that anxiety. And so I just decided to make a conscious decision to believe these passages and believe the gospel. And I completely changed the way that I approached my faith with the Lord and how I was going to live it out. I had a year to experiment, and so I did. And so rather than focusing on all the things that I was going to do, I made a conscious effort to learn new ways to connect with the Lord. That was going to be my primary doing. It was going to be to sit at his feet, to make sure that I was understanding different ways to pray, different ways to receive his word. Uh, I, I researched things like contemplative prayer practices, different ways of, of meditation on the scriptures, things that were so outside of the norm and uncomfortable for me, and so far outside of our tr typical traditions in evangelical Christianity. But I needed something. I wanted Christ. I wanted Christ and I had to figure out a way to get closer to him. And through trial and error and learning, my, my spiritual life took on a whole different practice, a whole different meaning. And then what I decided to do is rather than trying to prescribe all these different programs and holy things that I was going to do to prove to people the worth of Christianity, I was going to believe what Christ taught me, which is I'm created in his image. He's given me certain gifts and talents. And his Holy Spirit dwells within me. And as I connect with him, my job is just going to be to love and connect with others. I'm not going to try. I'm just going to be me. And me plus the Holy Spirit is just going to have to be enough in whatever context I'm in. As long as I'm staying connected to his word, as long as I'm staying connected to him, I'm just going to have to believe that's enough. And you know what? People are going to see inside and out. They're going to see when I make mistakes uh, they're going to see when I stumble, and then they're going to see how I take that to the Lord, and I'm going to allow myself to be vulnerable, and that's just the way it's going to be. And you know what happened? First of all, I was liberated. <laughs> but, you know, the soldiers loved it. Because you know what they want is the same thing that everybody else wants in this world? They just want truth and authenticity. The last thing they needed from me was a guy who had all the right answers. It was a guy that was trying to convince them or was somebody that was trying to get them involved in some kind of a program. They just needed somebody to sit with them and be with them and love them and be curious about them and ask them questions and accept them regardless of what they had to say to me or what they had done either on the battlefield or when they talked to their wife that night and they blew up and exploded. They needed what Christ was giving me every day when I went to him and did the exact same thing. Hell, that's Christ-like living. Were there times 
where they were doing things that I had to step in and speak truth and say, here's what's right and here's what's wrong? Absolutely. But man, I would have never gotten to that point if I wouldn't have learned this lesson of just being able to sit. And you know what? The same lesson that I applied to the scriptures of listen, hear, receive, look into, as they were talking to me, it was the same principle I applied. Listen to them, Jake. Stop talking. Listen to what they're saying. Be interested in them. Look into what they're saying. There's a deeper message. And you know what else I believed was happening in those moments? And I believe happens with every interaction we have, if you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit that dwells within you, that when you have a conversation with somebody, there's a triad happening. There's you, there's the person, there's the Holy Spirit in the middle. And there are things happening that you don't know. But until you hold presence with people, like you hold presence with the Lord in a loving manner, there's no room for the spirit to work. And there were many times where a soldier, would, we would spend an hour together. I may have said five words and they would walk away like, oh, thanks, man. You really helped me. You did a lot. And I would run out there like, I have so much more to offer to give you. Like, I didn't even give you any advice. I did nothing except be present with them. And the Holy Spirit moved. Sometimes we sit with Jesus and we feel like nothing is happening and we stop. We stop because we're not doing. But in those moments of sitting and resting, reading his word, the spirit is working. You may not feel it in the moment, but he's working if we will allow him to. Jesus Christ, if we want to live like him, if we want to be Doers and not just hearers is imploring us to be present with him, to sit with him, to cease striving, to learn new ways of doing that, and to stop proving our value to him. Take off your biased lenses. And here's why I believe this, and here's why I believe this with my whole heart to be true. If you go to the very end of this passage, the last few verses, look at the definition of pure religion. This is awesome. And it's so profound. So when, when, if I were to say to you, okay, I want you to create a word image in your mind, just a, an image of this word that I give you. If I said the word religion, I wonder what image you would generate in your head. The word religion, that's a lot of connotations. I think for me, the image I would see is the Ten Commandments. Or like a scroll, like a really long scroll that you just kept unrolling with all these rules. Or maybe a measuring stick. It might be the measuring stick of what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong. I think that's the word image a lot of people would have with religion. Look at the word image that James gives us. And we're going to miss this if we don't take our glasses off. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To visit Orphans and widows in their affliction. The most vulnerable segments of population in James's time were orphans and widows. But it's not even, it's not even the idea of, of, of being with those who are the most vulnerable. It's the word visit. Now, what image does the word visit conjure up in your head? It's like when you just go visiting. You know, I'm going to go visit so-and-so. It's like, you know, front porches and lemonade and hanging out. Um, if it's kids, like orphans, it's probably playing, right? 
having fun, giggling, telling stories. You know, we just visited my mom in, in Michigan, and we spent the week fishing on a boat, on a pontoon boat, on a lake. We didn't do much, but man, we were together, and it was fun. Does anybody think religion looks like that? The Bible does. Pure religion, folks, undefiled religion. Visit. Do you see the application? Maybe instead of like this yardstick we pull out, maybe we need to have this mental image in our minds of us sitting in a rocking chair with a, a glass of lemonade sitting with the Lord. Because that's what happens when you sit and you're slow to act and you listen and you let him seep into your being. And you're not so focused on getting out there and proving your worth and your value to this world or anybody else and especially not to him. Jesus is saying, visit with me. Come here, abide. That is Christ-like living. And then secondary to that, as you go out into the world, apply those principles without trying so hard and just love and be present with people. On the surface, that can sound very simplistic. And I hope you don't dismiss this message. Because it does sound simplistic. And I hope you don't dismiss this message and think that I'm saying that, that doctrine and dogma are not important. They are. But they don't mean a thing until we get this first part right. So I ask you in closing, how do you see the Lord? And how do you see your faith? Do you see it as he really is? Or do you see the faith as it really is? pure and undefiled religion, this notion of visiting and being and letting, 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 letting the Lord transform you? Or do you see it as you are with your own biases and your own lenses? Breathe deep. Pull up a chair. Sit with him. Sit with others. Wrestle with this idea. This will take a lot of time and a lot of unlearning of old habits. But find a new way to connect with Christ and to connect with others that has nothing to do with that word image of a scroll and a dogma, but has everything to do with this notion of visiting, abiding, come here, and being transformed by Jesus Christ, who loves and accepts you just the way you are today and what will never change based upon anything that you do. And that is good news. Amen.